Happy July, everybody. You know I hate to waste your time with a news update, but this is something I gotta tell you up front all this month to make sure everybody hears it. And that is that on the fourth anniversary of the Plus system, the start of August 2018, we are raising the cost of admission by a little bit to $8 a month. I wrote at length about the whys and the whats and the hows in the THC newsletter, which we're going to call the Higher Side Herald from now on. And I'm going to be much more consistent with it now that it's got a proper name. But read that on Facebook or Twitter if you really want to get into the details, but here's what you need to know. If you're a current Plus member, you don't have to do anything if you want to stay on board the commercial-free and action-packed two-hour ride we got going on here, but the price will be going up in August. If you've prepaid for 6 or 12 months in advance, that time is covered. You're already in. But the next time the system needs to charge you, whatever level you're at, it will charge you at that new rate. It's a change I've been torching myself over for a while, and the Plus members who have given me some responses have all been really understanding. And I can sigh the sweet sigh of relief. But I'm sure we'll lose some people too, and I'm prepared for that. But please make sure you click on my account from the plus menu bar and cancel before August 1st if you must. The rest of you first hour only folks have a little more time to get in on the ground floor as they say. But even at $8, I think we're still an alright deal when you consider what else is out there. I hate to do it, but even Amazon Prime has raised the price on me twice in the last few years, and I think they have a lot more members than me, and I'm not asking for a key to your front door. We're still going to have five top-notch monthly treks into this weird and conspiratorial world with the best guests in the business, but I'm also going to sweeten the pot with a monthly video session of good times and open lines where I will sit by the phone for you, dear people. And we're going to call them joint sessions. Clever, right? So that's the news in THC land. I know, I know, say it ain't so. But as the guy who actually depends on this thing we got going here, nobody's more anxious and nervous about a big change than I am. So thanks for all the support and for not biting my head off too much. Now let's do the damn thing. Puppet masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us just don't know to what degree Where would we be without THC? Greg Carl Wood and Company Alright, higher side chatters, it's easy to feel disenfranchised with our cog-in-the-wheel society and the life-sucking empire perched above it. Draining us spiritually, emotionally, and in every other sense of the word, stifling our innovation and development, and filling us with the aggressive indoctrination that if you seek a path outside of normalcy, you will no doubt crash and burn. However, we still see some people outside of that cage who do seem quite different, freer, happier, enlightened, and at peace. 
And we hear these outliers telling us that freedom is only a few brave choices away, that the universe rewards the bold, and there isn't much holding us back except our own fear. It's a tough message to adopt, but there's no denying the persistent call to tear down these cubicle walls, shatter the shackles of the empire, and orient our lives towards our true will and the path of the esoteric tradition. Well, people, today we're going to try and get the message through your heads one more time as we're joined by two people who know it well, Neil Kramer and Niles Heckman. You might remember Neil Kramer from the Higher Side Archives as he was here once before almost five years ago. But for those who don't, Neil is a philosopher, teacher, and esotericist. His work focuses on spirituality, mysticism, and metaphysics. He is also a faculty member at the Omega Institute in New York, where he teaches spiritual philosophy, mysticism, esoteric studies, and self-development. Today, in a rare trilogue for this show, we're also joined by Niles Heckman, a talented filmmaker and documentarian who has worked on several projects in line with the spiritual path, including his episodic series, Shamans of the Global Village. Together, they've just released a new documentary entitled Transmutation, written and narrated by Neil and directed by Niles. Transmutation is a documentary about becoming your best self, rejecting the empire, discovering the beauty and dangers of the hidden spiritual path, and hearing from those who have transformed themselves by walking it. Two individuals aligned with the esoteric, champions of the divine mysteries, and the one-two punch of transmutation, Neil and Niles, welcome to the higher side. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Hot damn, dude. Another triumphant Carlot introduction, which will <laughs> transcend all space and time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. It's all part of my nine to five at this point, but thanks for being here, guys. I am really hoping we can conspire to light the fire under some people, so to speak, because that really does seem to be the theme of the film. If you're sick of the routine, if the pre-approved path is leaving you empty and unfulfilled, then look over here to this new path of self-discovery and true will. It might sound scary, but come on in. The water's fine. And I think that's exactly the kind of message people need to hear, especially now, because at least in my opinion, not only is the conventional rat race life unfulfilling, it's also kind of breaking down. But Neil, let me have you tell the fine folks at home a bit about the film and its usefulness for the disenfranchised. Well, it is a film that we created over a little while to be something of beauty and something of substance. So whatever your views and whatever your personal philosophy and politics and your status in life and your demographic group or whatever, you can sweep that aside to some extent and just see it as a thing of beauty and a thing of substance. And that was really our chief goal instead of just trying to get some great doctrine across or some giant manifesto, it was very simple. The ethic behind it was very, very simple. And of course, within that, we do want to share a lot of views about society and about normality and about individualism versus collectivism and all this kind of stuff. Niles and I both have an artistic appreciation of beauty. And philosophically, I would say that beauty has a relationship with truth. So usually when you're looking at something beautiful or listening to something truly beautiful, there's a an echo of truth in it. So we attempted in our own pro-amateur, amateur-pro, whatever type of way mm -hmm. to get all our resources together and our skill sets, which we've both exercised in various professional fields, and make a truly independent film that would encapsulate those things 
And uh, as you said in your introduction, which thank you for your thoughtful and <laughs> poetic wording on that. That was really lovely. But the film is really about people who leave normal at varying stages. Some have just begun to do it, which you'll see when you look. Some have been doing it for a while and some have been doing it for a long time. And that's what it's about. It's saying that normal is essentially a false construct. And what we think of as normal is really the reverse. It's abnormal. You know, the film's very open. It leads everybody in at whatever stage they're at. It's a very welcoming film for the beginner. But it's also, as uh, we'll go on to talk about, no doubt, filled with a lot of codes, secrets, juicy things for the more advanced metaphysical human. So we wanted it to appeal to everybody at, you know, all different stages of development. Well, cheers to that. Yeah, leaving normal. What a great term. And... Niles, I'm a bit new to your work, but there's a real synergy to it, it seems, like Transmutation, Shamans of the Global Village, Terra, Incognita, which explains the hidden landscape of the mind itself. Tell us a bit about your body of work and the themes that seem to weave really through all of it. Yeah, well, you know, in the perilous land of personal development, I found in recent years that I get great benefit from using my creative projects as the vehicles for learning and internal transformation. And of course, we'll talk more about transmutation as well. But, you know, having worked in Hollywood on big budget movies, as well as game cinematics and high-end commercials, I was ultimately doing technician work being demonstrably underutilized within that industry, right? Just like many of our slave jobs reduce these divine beings of excellence into compartmentalized worker robots, you know, not to mention the fact that you're in this inevitable corporate area of hyper-competitiveness and ladder climbing and egos, which, especially in entertainment fields, are very low resonance and, you know, result in people that don't really have that much internal development deciding what projects get created. Thus, those projects have little to no underlying significance in terms of, you know, real novelty or creativity. And, you know, they're not always, but usually these kind of steaming turds wrapped in shiny, exterior, sparkly, wrapped superficialness, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? What's under the hood is not really there, but it has a beauty and an excellence to it on the outside that's kind of like the baby pool, right? It's very shallow. So I wanted to start creating things that were better than that. And I knew that I had to do that from outside the system. So, you know, interesting enough, I was on a life growth path coming out of a role in this kind of tertiary part of the film industry, working on very famous projects, you know, Academy Award winning projects. But I didn't want to do that anymore anyway, because there was things where I wasn't a creative force behind it. And I knew that ultimately I wasn't doing something that was my own thing, just like you've done with the show, Greg. You know, you get so much fulfillment out of creating your own thing. And it was, you know, first a series of things, but I found myself through life putting myself in an alignment where I could engage my will to reach out to people that are of more spiritual divine excellence, such as things that might be in the realm of alchemy or shamanism or mysticism or magic. You know, or something that we might call people that are working to align themselves with the great work. And I found that documentary was a nice way to do that because, of course, just like things that are real versus what's not real, and we'll talk more about that, documentaries can highlight that. It's a medium that allows that to be highlighted. So I was kind of leaning towards things with more esoteric and occult meaning, which, you know, even though are inevitably going to be more obscure, they have much deeper substance. So that was kind of the way that I initially got there. And then, you know, we can talk about how Neil and I kind of connected up to do that. Right. That was really going to be one of my next questions for you is the process of making this film. It seemed like quite a long time in the making, multiple years, 
But how did you guys come together to get this thing done? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge disconnect between projects of hierarchical structures of the entertainment industry, just like what you might see from a professional record label, which may look good or sound good versus what you might see from Hollywood, quote unquote, with big budgets. But again, there's nothing under the hood. And over the last 10 years, as the internet's come about, and you know, even though it's 20 years old, there's been a lot more interesting things that are not on the internet that are of real philosophical depth and substance. But there is a lot more good things that are able to be accessed now with the internet. So I would see these independently made videos that you might see online from, you know, independent researchers that were exploring all sorts of interesting things, like, let's say, alternate spatial models of the universe, or like, an Alan Watts lecture or Egyptologists that were looking at ancient civilizations from more of a third eye perspective versus the kind of conventional Egyptologists who don't really know anything about ancient Egypt. Many of these things, though, that you'd find on, let's say, anywhere on the internet, they may look cheap and poor and, you know, have the same quality that something our moms would shoot on their cell phone, <laughs> but they may have very, like, expansive things to say, right? So on the other side of that, we see tons of professional, high-end, big-budget work out there from, let's say, directors or filmmakers or producers, which is visually stunning, but again, has little to nothing to say of us, especially being these spiritual beings. And there's a gazillion avenues that can fractal out from that concept. So I saw this separation between these two, right, where it's like, I'd love to make something that has at least some level of comparable production value and mix that with some of the actual depth of some of these independent researchers or some of these people that know a thing or two about ancient wisdom. So the goal was to kind of synergize the higher production values, which my background was in, synergistically allowing me, which kind of in my life, synchronistically, I should say, allowed me to have this special skill set where I could do projects independently that had much deeper occult and alchemical and spiritual philosophic substance. So in collaborating with somebody, I was going to essentially propose and offer a free documentary film to somebody. So then the question became, well, who do I do that with? You know, I had read Philip K. Dick's book, Vallis. Mm. And in Vallis, you know, he repeatedly mentions this kind of concept of the empire never ending. And through my interest in science fiction and, you know, knowing that there was more depth on the page usually than on the screen, I think when you kind of start digging into this concept of empire, especially from a modern perspective and what it does to reduce beings that are a product of a system of containment like that. I think as you start looking into alternate fields, it inevitably leads you to certain people's material. And Neil is such a world expert on this concept, I think. So that inevitably led me to Neil's work. And he was very much the perfect person to collaborate with in order to help bring this project into manifestation. Mm. I love what you're saying. I definitely think that is the sweet spot. Alternative media has a long history with poor production quality, and <laughs> it's really nice to try to bridge that gap. And so kind of what you were saying before leads us right into part one of the film, which is separation. And to me, it really lays out how you kind of have no choice but to pursue your true will and that esoteric path of the mysteries. Because when you profile the system for what it is, cold, exploitive, dishonest, empty, and fulfilling, that all helps to make the journey less intimidating because option A, option normal, becomes no option at all. And so I guess, Neil, having written the film, was that kind of the thinking, get people to properly profile the empire and its system so that you realize you really have no choice but to move forward? Yeah. Again, thank you for that thoughtful angle on it, which I totally agree with. In the same way that Niles has brought a very professional, balanced, precise skill set to produce high production values for an indie project, 
I wanted to do my best to do my bit of that, which is to provide reason and sense and a bit of prudence and judiciousness to the message. So very often, if you're speaking to the uninitiated, the the people sat on the fence who were thinking about something, but perhaps lack the confidence or insight of what to do about it. In my experience, if you have a ranting, frothing voice of a conspiracy-type show, and we won't name any names, but we all know who the top four or five dudes are, it's a big turn-off that. It turns a lot of good people away. So I wanted, it gives me a certain degree of satisfaction to speak to the initiated, those who know, and have great discourse with them. That's definitely a satisfying thing. But it gives me even more satisfaction to speak to those who are fresh and new, but know something's wrong, and invite them inwards and say, look, the system is messed up in a really serious way by design. It's not through incompetence or that humans are just somehow irretrievably flawed. It's set up to contain human beings, not to uplift and elevate them, but the opposite of that. And we won't go into that in tremendous detail in the film, but we definitely show it, all the key elements. And there's no five seconds of the film are not carefully thought out. So every few frames, every few scenes, we spent a lot of time thinking about the symbolism, the music, the light, the color, everything, the relationship between the sound, the image, and the word, everything. And so we're acknowledging that there's a problem for part of the film and then offering solutions for the rest of the film. But as you say, it has this three-act structure, which is pretty typical in filmmaking, but we found it fits perfectly with ours too. So we also adopted that model of separation, of searching, and of reunion, which is a classical journey for any human who is alive to the spiritual truth of themselves, is that initially it's a very difficult and harrowing and painful separation, which is you realize you can't be a villager like all the other villagers. You have to go on a sort of pilgrimage, a journey of spiritual importance and danger and beauty all mixed up together. And so you have to leave the safety of the certainty and the routines and traditions of the village that may have been comforting at one time but when you realize that that village is not helping you have to leave it so that separation phase i think if somebody watches that first you know 15 20 minutes or whatever and gets that then we've got them they're going to think right i know what you're talking about guys and we believe neil we believe niles we understand that we're on their side they're on our side we get it so if somebody gets that first part, they're going to pursue that journey and feel that there's somebody who gets it from the other angle. And as I say, you know, it's a classical old story, but what we bring new to it is the way I describe it, the way Niles depicts it, the way the different musicians that we collaborated with depict it. And... It's unique in our day. So although somebody could have talked about this 50 years ago or 500 years ago with exactly the same wisdom, essentially, the unique components of the day of this man, Neil, Niles, of this man, Neil, 
of these other guys that we worked with, of the men and women who were in the film with us, the different people we talked to, and of the circumstances of our culture today, make it unique, special. There's nothing like it right now because there can't be. It's unique because of those people at this moment in time. So we're telling a tale of awakening, which so many people have done, but we're telling it with just, in my view, far more impact because it sincerely reaches out to the audience and says, look, this is so simple to do, but you must move through this painful separation first. And if we can convince you to at least entertain that idea, then I think you'll find something valuable. So, yeah, that's what we were trying to do. Mm. Cheers to that. Yeah, it's the hero's journey. It's familiar, but different. Absolutely, yeah. It's somewhere embedded in us all, and it's just waiting to come out. And I think this is a good catalyst to jog it loose. And, Neil, I was going to ask you this. So, when I talked to you on the show here five years ago, I was trying to make this work. It was in its infancy. But I was still struggling at a job I hated. I'd have inspirational guys like you and Duncan Trussell and Daniele Bolelli on. And it would be like a broken record of me asking for some magical answer or for someone to hold my hand or do it for me. And the reality is that I'd heard all the advice and I had all the information I needed. But number one, it's a process and it takes time. But number two, I think a lot of us get stuck in the education phase and we're afraid to move on to the action phase. Is that something you think is a major stumbling block for people? Yeah, I appreciate your candor and sincerity in those remarks as well, because initially people are looking for a piece of knowledge to fix the situation. And there isn't any such thing. No such thing exists. The fix to the situation, spiritually, is to understand a very difficult thing which is the self that we made is a load of shit. <laughs> and it was made to mitigate pain. And so the separation phase, which alchemically we call nigredo, blackening, is a deconstructive phase. Or if you like tarot, you might think of it as the tower card, where something that you think was good, that you spent a long time building, must be destroyed. And that's a tough thing. Even when you've got a big heart and you're doing something awesome, you're making a good radio show, you're making a good film, you're writing a good book, you're putting on a conference, you're meeting with good men and women. Even when our hearts are in the right place, we still have to go through that deconstructive phase or what in the old Latin language you would call putrefactio. <laughs> mm -hmm. You have to break it down, you know, like a tree is broken down when it falls and eventually putrefies back into the ground. But its essence can never be destroyed. And what comes from it is better and stronger. So yeah, there's a point where you have to say, the problem with empire is a spiritual problem. The, war, the cultural war that we have at the moment between individualism and collectivism is a spiritual conflict. It is. So no matter which way you look at it, you can't campaign for a retarded political candidate of any persuasion because they don't get it. There's no wisdom. There's no leadership. There's no depth. There's no attainment there. So the invitation is to your own transformation or your own transmutation. And the difference between those two words is that 
a transformation is a gradual movement, a refinement, an incremental change. A transmutation is where something new comes from that change. So you're actually generating something that previously did not exist. And so it has a transcendent sort of intonation within it. So it is a film about change, essentially. The whole film is about people who leave normal and find something substantial and excellent. And that then has a knock-on effect for understanding empire, understanding your sexuality, understanding your family, understanding the world, the environment, the ecosystem, nutrition, everything, everything, everything. But it begins with that initial deconstruction phase. So that's a perfect example of the multi-layered element to the film. For the newcomer, it's like you're walking around nature, we talk to some people, nice film. For the more (laughs) thoughtful student, it is, wait a minute, there's like a structure here, there's a lot being shown to us. And you can see even in that three-act structure, separation, searching, reunion, we're also presenting alchemical processes to invite the viewer to look at of Negredo, albedo, rubido, which is just old language for blackening, whitening, and reddening, which is deconstructing something that you thought was good that's actually garbage, oneself, creating something from purification, and forging a new self made out of that purification that is true. And that process is about 30 years if you took somebody from let's say, 10 years old, and spent that 30 years with them through that initiatory, esoteric procedure, it's about three decades' work before they become okay. So it's a long process, a long, long process. And throughout the film, you see that process depicted in nature. So always look carefully at the trees, the sun, the moon, the water, and you will see that we're constantly referencing that process. So again, an example of the layeredness of the film, which we don't want to disrespect anybody. We're not trying to trick anybody. We do want to speak to all comers on equal faith and trust. But we want to also acknowledge that those who have walked the path a little longer and have done a decent amount of work on themselves, we want to give them something valuable as well. So those who have learned how to interpret symbolism will say that we're acknowledging that greater depth also. Just to add to that, Greg, I mean, we, you know, one of the lines for the film, it's powered by mind, heart, and will. And those stages are so important because obviously our mind is what we think and our heart is what we feel. And then our will is actually what we do. And just like Neil says, you know, we may spend decades in some of those stages. You know, there's people listening to this podcast that know the old system is rubbish, but they're still very much part of it. And they're doing their own internal thoughts as to what they can do to maneuver out of it or live life in a better way. And they feel that they need to move beyond that. And there's very much a male-female balance in that, where a lot of men are very mind-centered and women are very heart-centered. And to move to the will, we could think of it as the Eastern perspective on like the chakra ladder is from a base up to a high crown chakra. But a Western perspective on that could be thought of as from the mind down to the heart, down to the will, which is the real engagement area. So when I hear something like your show, Greg, which is a really great show, and you're, I know people compliment you on just the general tone of the show. It shows that your heart is in a really good place with the way that you're proposing this material, right? Because like Neil says, I mean, we don't need to name names, but we've all known guests and had guests on that 
have very sad tones or very mean, angry tones, and they're very mad at themselves or very sad at themselves. So your tone is a huge part of your heart engagement. And it's beautiful for you as a broadcaster to reference something that happened in your life, comparing yourself from your five years ago version to your version now, because it's really, really powerful to get guests to talk about themselves rather than just doing endless research about conspiratorial shit and then not actually ever using (laughs) themselves as the vehicle for transmutation, right? Because like we would talk about in the film, mysticism is very much direct and is about you doing things. So even though we're all students and we're all on some level of path and never achieving mastery, it's really, really beautiful to hear personal stories of people using themselves as will engaging to it change is. things. It is, Niles. I'm glad you said that, Greg. Uh-huh. Let me just add another addendum onto this. Sure. Niles just said something that just made me feel something that I have to say. The personal journey is central to the spiritual stream, i.e. what is really nourishing, what is true, what is transformational. And the funny thing about when you put media out on a regular basis, whether it's audio, it's written, it's visual, whatever it is, is that the viewer, the listener, whatever, gets to track the development of the person. So I bet you that you see regular listeners who love Greg Carlwood, who love Niles Heckman, and every now and again, one of those people who enjoy your work will email you and say, hey, I've been listening for years, it's so good, and you know, I've seen you change, I've seen your development, I've seen what's happened to you, and it's just great to see how the show, the program, the films, the this, the that, have evolved over time, it's really quite precious. I get those emails too, and Sometimes people will say really funny things like, yeah, I've followed you for ages and, you know, you had a good heart, but you were a dick at the beginning and uh, (laughs) it was pretty unsophisticated and you said a lot of silly things, but I could feel your authenticity. And then as you've gone through the years, you've refined yourself. You've made yourself a more, like I say, a more balanced person. You have greater equilibrium. But in that equilibrium, and this is a great compliment somebody gave me the other day, In that equilibrium, you haven't become diluted. In fact, you've become more fierce and more piercing because you can now focus on what counts through your own failures and your own successes. You're not afraid to get it wrong. You're not afraid to misstep, which is always the sign of wisdom. And I see that in all of this work is that Our greatest gift is actually not the media we produce, but it's the sharing of ourselves. It's the sharing of Greg Mm -hmm. and Niles, which is even more important than the media that's produced, me too. And that becomes then a funny kind of document is our own life through the media. So I see that in this film too, in that not only is myself and Niles, obviously, have been the two people instrumentally making it, but about... 50 other people as well, and perhaps 10 of them in particular, five of them in particular, but a bunch of great people, their life, you can actually see the track of it in this film to some extent. And then when you meet those people, I'm, I'm doing an event in Omega, September the 7th to the 9th, Radiant Shadow it's called. If somebody comes to that, you'll meet some of these people and you'll see, oh yeah, that's the guy from this thing, or that's the woman from this thing how they've changed even since that was made, how they've refined, how they've become deeper, warmer, clearer, stronger. The most inspirational thing is that, is that tracking 
of the attainment, which is just blood, sweat, and tears. So the knowledge is there. Sure, there's a lot of cool stuff that we'll say. Somebody could sit there with a notepad in this film and make a bunch of wonderful notes and things to go research and check out. But my advice is don't do that at first. It definitely rewards repeated viewing this film. But at first, just get the feeling of it. Get the feeling that this is honestly, honestly real people who are changing themselves. Some have just begun. Some have been doing it for a little while and some have been doing it for ages. I'm not going to suggest who those are, but you can tell when you look at it. Sometimes the age of the person is an indication, but not always. Some young people surprise you. Some old people surprise you in different ways. But it's the evolution of the people, to me, is what's most inspirational in this journey. Mm. And also a good measure for that or just barometer for that is to look back at your previous body of work and feel absolutely, completely embarrassed at times. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like when when you talk about your earliest episodes of this podcast, Greg, or something like I have a little podcast, too, that I put behind a paywall because the first 60 some episodes I'm kind of embarrassed by. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very healthy, right? Where you should absolutely look back at your old stuff and somewhat just throw it in the trash can and reboot and not be afraid to reboot and start over. And it's never too late. Like Neil says, even if you're 50 years old working at the same job, and it's never too late to really start moving, mm-hmm. to start internal adjusting. Well said. And <laughs> I appreciate the kind words, guys. I mean, you're right. In those early days, there's a lot of frustration and desperation in my voice. And embarrassingly enough, it's all on the record. So <laughs> there it is. But You know, in terms of the film being heavily layered and it being kind of an initiation process of its own, I definitely appreciate esoteric and exoteric and the value of that as a learning process and how it might have even come to be back in the day when it was kind of developed. But that's one thing, you know, we see the value of it as a teaching tool, but we also look at society today And everything seems flipped. The exoteric, what's projected out there is just lies. It doesn't seem like a simplified version of truth, like the tradition might have had in the beginning. It seems like this tool of exoteric, esoteric is completely used against us. And we sometimes think about conspiracies and secrets, and then we equate it back to that process and those types of thinkers. And that might not be accurate. That might be flawed thinking, but What can you say about that mechanism and how it's applied today versus in the past and how to parse out the positive from the negative that can be contained within this tool? Yeah, parse is an excellent word, by the way. I used that myself yesterday and thought, what a lovely word. So I'm definitely using that again because you just said it. (laughs) Thank you for that pointer. Parse. To me, a good way to think about what you just said is to show the example of the intelligence services as organizations that have an esoteric and exoteric element. If you think about the FBI, or perhaps more specifically the CIA, the NSA, and then like the British MI6, MI5, and the Israeli Mossad, and the Russian KGB, and so on and so forth, those organizations have an element within them which is designed to protect national interests, to protect their nation against foreign threats by identifying information and having trade in that information, eliminating things, bolstering things based on that flow of secrets. And then if you push that out to 
non-military, non-national things such as Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, maybe Theosophy, you know, things like that. You've got another kind of group where they have a similar structure, which is it's supposed to be to protect the interests of a group through the knowledge they have to say, how can we strengthen humankind? Knowing essentially a great secret of the work is that most human beings want to be told what to do. They don't want to think for themselves. And that, in my view, is going to remain that way for a very, very long time. So you then have an interesting dilemma, which is how do you respectfully help those who want to be told what to do? So many esoteric groups, the way they grapple with that challenge is to say, well, let us offer the pathway to initiation to everybody. It's a little bit like, say, in martial arts, in karate, you have different grades which are depicted by the belt that you wear around your karate gi, you know, your uniform. And you start with a white belt and you go on through green belts and black belts and all the rest of it. The belt depicts where you're up to, but the fact that you've got a belt on is what matters. It doesn't perhaps matter so much what color it is at first, is that you're all there doing this work. But the path of initiation is open to everybody. So when you go to a, an esoteric good organization, which I've been to many over my life, everybody is given the same respect and the same access to resources and fellowship and brotherhood as everyone else. And I am not a member of any organization. I've never been a Mason. I never would be for all kinds of different reasons. But I've met many such groups, many great Masonic groups. I spoke at a Masonic temple in Portland in 2012. They opened the doors to everyone in the city. Loads and loads of people came and saw me speak. And very progressive, modern, super cool, esoteric lodge down there. And they were great. They were great, great bunch of guys. And a lot of people came up to me and said, wow, this isn't the spooky, weird shit that I thought it was. These guys are like cool and interesting and actually looking for something substantial. I said, right. However, that same infrastructure for the intelligence services and the fraternal esoteric organizations is the perfect cover for skullduggery. So if your empire, the first thing you must do is seize assets and elements, cells within those intelligence services and within those fraternal and esoteric orders, which has been done now for at least, let's say, 25,000 years in the esoteric orders, at least, and at least the last century of the intelligence services and the ones that were after that usually had prior forms. So all the time, you're running with these three elements side by side. The same organizations have black hats, bad guys, white hats, good guys, and gray hats, people who transact in rightness and wrongness for a fee. And that makes everything very complicated. So when you're analyzing the deep state, the empire, and you're looking at how it works, there is an analog in esotericism. And there is a Freemasonic element of great evilness. But it isn't Freemasonry itself. It's the infrastructure of it that's been used to hide something. 
So you always have to be very careful to distinguish between the two. The structure, how it was formed, who made it and why, and those who have adopted that structure for nefarious purposes. So if you can distinguish between the two, there's no problem. Yeah, and that kind of extends into the saying of having eyes to see and ears to hear, doesn't it? Because, you know, most people are good people, but the consciousness and a lot of people that we might know who wouldn't be listening to a podcast like this is so low that they're just awash in only the exoteric, which is probably 99 plus percent of what's presented to them. And that's really just this sugar and plastic of shopping malls and high-rise buildings and corporatization and, you know, government skullduggery, right? And they don't have access or have been turned away from anything that's esoteric, which is really yummy mental vegetables. Mm -hmm. And both may have some sort of level of ritual or pagan weirdness or pentagrams or dolmens in terms of just the esoteric on the dark side and the light side, the sorcery or the wizardry. But for people that are listening to this and have this yummy mental vegetable conversation that we're having, for the small amount of people that would be those folks, there's many more people out there that can really care less. So it is very much this kind of almost self-initiatory process these days where you really have to become an autodidact for yourself and make it happen for you. Mm. It is. And if I can just add one thing to that as well, my experience has shown me that, as I say, most people want to feel that access to deep layers of reality, which are like face-meltingly awesome <laughs> stuff, experiences. Cheers. They want to feel that that, <laughs> that pathway is available to everybody. In real, especially Western esoteric traditions, more than any other, more than any African or Asian traditions I've ever seen, Western esoteric traditions of Western Europe offer the most extreme equality I can think of. In fact, the only equality I can think of, which is this simple thing. The journey is open to everybody. It's just a choice. And it's a sequence of choices through 10 decades of life. It's just a sequence of choices. I've never met anybody who doesn't have that choice, regardless of the comfort of the circumstances. I've never met anyone who doesn't have that choice. So it is ultimate equality. And my journey with some esoteric groups, two hermetic groups in particular, was unquestionably beneficial. And I don't just mean, oh, well, I found some gems out of a lot of weird shit. No, it made me a better man. It made me a truer human, a better person, and gave me the philosophical and spiritual tools to distinguish between crap and quality, and never, ever to in any way avoid discriminating between right and wrong, which in absolute terms, there are universal elements to those things, but you have to experience them. Your wisdom is in your footsteps. It's not in pages and words and thoughts. And as Niles indicated before, mind, heart, and will, I would say this about that. You must get your mind in order first. Then you must get your heart in order. So masculine and feminine energies in both men and women, vice versa, upside down, back to front, total harmony. You have to explore all of that. When mind and heart are in good order, will can then come into effect, which in some Western esoteric traditions, again, as Niles pointed to, and we show this in the film in many ways if you look carefully, is not at the crown chakra. 
it's at the very base of somebody. It's at the very root. It's at the thing that connects you to the land. It's the red primal energy. And it is the will of the creator. So if we were speaking in simple terms, you would say, all will is God's will. Thy will be done, not mine. So it is a way of saying, when you're in the flow, this giant fractal beauty, this divine eminence, this divine resonance flows through you. It's not just the animal self doing something. It's something much mightier and more majestic. So mind and heart, getting that in shape is preparing the vessel for the reception of God's will. So it flows through you. So you simply become a conduit, a channel for it. And he gives you the free will to shape it how you wish. Go write a book. Go lie on the mountainside. Look at the clouds. Go cook dinner. Whatever you want to do. There's no great summoning. There's no great ordination to it. It's yours to do with as you wish. But if mind and heart are in good condition, which is, as I say, minimum three decades work, hard work, when they're in good condition, something greater flows through one. And that is available to everybody. And you could say that somebody like a Christ figure comes down to say, check this out. This is how you do it, guys. Right. I'm out of here. Fuck, do that. It works. Hmm. And he is a son of God, as indeed we all are sons and daughters of God. So there is an element of divinity that flows through this film without doubt. And whether you characterize that as nature, God, divinity, source, goddess, animistic, pantheistic, monotheistic, that's up to you. We don't really care. But the divinity element is crucial. So leaving normal, in my view, cannot be done without the acknowledgement of a higher power. But that can only be experienced individually. You can't ask somebody to do that. You can't sit them down and get them to agree to a bunch of precepts. You have to say, find your pathway to God and see if you can find him. See if you can have discourse. See if you can feel something flowing through your veins and radiating through your bones in an undeniable way. It's not knowledge. It's not words. It's not prayers. It's something far more significant that is like a tectonic shift, but it's a personal epiphany. You can't have it delivered to you as a prescription from anybody, however cool or interesting or mysterious and sexy. It must only come through personal experience. And once you have that, then that's where the magic starts to happen, which is, again, we depict that numerous times, every sort of 10 or 15 minutes through the film, you will see us talking about that very thing, if you look carefully. Mm. Well said, and I agree with you about the equality of access. It's like today, especially anyone with the internet or a library card can read the books and do the work without joining any groups. Yeah. You know, you can do that all yourself. Watch the film instead of watching nine seasons of Seinfeld again. <laughs> There's all kinds of better choices. And this all kind of speaks to that personal journey. But that said, you know, I've had intelligent, nice Freemasons on the show before as individuals. You know, everyone should be judged accordingly. Sure. But I know some listeners would say that there seems to be a nearly ironclad political, economic and corporate synergy when it comes to lying and manipulating the masses. Where are these enlightened philosopher kings today that should be flexing their muscle and pushing back. Is there any way you could give us an example of where you see them on the world stage? Because some people can only really see 
the empire. So, in the times, if I may answer this one, Niles, for a moment. Please do, my good man. In the times of the prior ages, it was a time of kingship, and you would have a philosopher king who would come along and lead his people. A philosopher queen, perhaps, who would come along and lead her people, however you wish to see it, for sure. What the enormous difference is today, and if you look at the esoteric cosmology for this, which would be Polaria, Hyperborea, Lemuria, Atlantia, Aria. In the Aryan age of the moment, it is a time of the individual's journey, not the group journey. So the philosopher king is you, Greg Carlwood. It's you. Hmm. The philosopher king is the man who's listening to this show now, the woman who's listening to this show. They are the priestesses and Jedis of the moment. Individualism is the end of empire. Coming together in groups follows that. But you cannot have a group without individuals. Sounds simple, but it's overlooked. The triumph of individualism against the collective spells the termination of empire. So the access to the information, the access to the journey, the freedom for anybody to choose how to live is there, and it's there really for the first time in many, 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 many centuries. So I see now that the impulse, the invitation is for the individual to engage with the mystery. And when they do to a certain threshold, I can tell you for sure that groups arise, secret orders, until empire's gone, they will always be secret, who constantly, while everyone else is sleeping, while everyone else is doing whatever, are working to destroy empire. I know many of those groups, I see them all the time, but the only people who are going to know about that are people who've reached that level of awareness in themselves. Once they do, those groups will find you. Interesting, for sure. And in terms of the personal journey and how to maybe even recognize that there is a path of divine mystery that we can even get to. Maybe this is a question for Niles, but psychedelics can be one way to shock your system out of normalcy. What are your thoughts on where shamanism and entheogens come in? I've talked to a few people about transformative experiences that they've had. I've talked about mine at nauseum here, but I still think when a person has a breakthrough experience, it's hard to plug back into the matrix, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all my psychedelic experiences have been very life-changing and positive. And, you know, I take great, great pleasure and cherish those experiences. And I, I agree with the McKinnon perspective that entheogens have a profound ability to show somebody something in a very short, powerful time rather than sitting on the ashram for 30 years meditating. So that immediacy of them is very powerful, especially if they're done in right respect in a proper shamanic container like you referenced, Greg. So ultimately, though, when you do get to a certain level, I'm not saying that you leave entheogens behind or you don't have any sort of endogenous tryptamine experiences, but you will get to the point where you are able to do as much in life endogenously in interesting ways through various ritual or practices. So there's a beauty to entheogens kind of helping wake people up a little bit if they are in a proper mental state to be able to receive them. Again, back to the eyes to see and ears to hear and have the willingness to want to heal themselves because 
ultimately, as we are all in a profoundly sick culture, you know, it's no measure to be aligned with that, as the Krishnamurti quote says. So if you're willing to kind of unplug yourself and see that there's more to offer than meets the eye, and you can turn the circuit board of reality over and see something, get a little preview of that. I think that the entheogenic and psychedelic perspective is beautiful for just kind of giving people that little peek through the window behind the veil. And then we can carry those things into our lives. And what's so important about the psychedelic experience is what do you do with your life when you bring it back, right? And a lot of people in the entheogenic and psychedelic communities are having just as many problems as people in kind of other standard operating realities. I get really encouraged when I've met people that have had some entheogenic or psychedelic experiences and have done them well, and then are also working on themselves in their day-to-day life and not just one or the other. There's balance in everything. And that's when I really start being energized and excited when I get to have the pleasure of being around folks like that. If I can just add one thing to that as well, Greg, I'm writing a lot of cool words down and Niles just used another cool word, endogenous, right? Mm. That made me think about your point before, Greg, about where are the philosopher kings, where's the great nations of awesomeness and how can we team up or whatever, perhaps. Endogenous just simply meaning from within, arising from within. So if your spiritual power is endogenous, it means that you're conjuring it from your own internal flame. That's what we're doing at the moment. Indigenous is when it's from a nation, when it's from the soil, from the land, from the character of a people. Endogenous must come before indigenous. When you then have a group of people who from their own private inner flame have found great power and clarity and moral strength and excellence, when they then come together, that then imprints onto the land. And then you've got an indigenous spiritual community for the first time. I've never seen that yet because I know that we're still in the phase of individualization. We each have that shard of the creator within us and we're asked to radiate it. You can't do that under the aegis of some other power. You have to do it yourself. But there's only a very small critical mass of people who need to do that for it to work. I definitely subscribe to the idea that you don't need 7 billion awakened humans to make a good Earth. You need about, let's pick a random number out of the Bible, 144,000. That's it, period. (laughs) You only need that tiny remnant of extraordinary, lucid, super cool, awesome people. And that's it. Then suddenly empire's finished. So you need 144,000 lucid individuals, and it's game over, and we're back to utopia. Thank you. Hmm. And when you say before, having a culture that has this endogenous before indigenous mindset, I mean, we reference the Illusion Mysteries in the film, and At that point in time, I mean, that was an example of something like that, right? Where there's 2,000 plus years of a practice of initiating people into something that was at that time very likely called the Kaikion, which was thought to be either an ergot barley beer with a rye that had psychedelic properties, or perhaps maybe even I've heard speculation of a psychedelic honey. But that's an example of when you Beautiful example, Niles. Thank you. Yeah, look at that in the film, guys. The Elysian Mysteries that Niles is talking about, or Elysian Mysteries, yeah. Elysian, yeah. Hmm. Wise words. And so let me ask you a little more about the non-physical parts of this reality structure, well beyond empire, more baked into nature. You know, entheogens, they seem to be one way to see the underlying structure. 
And that's kind of what's so powerful about him because nobody taught us that that was there. And then you break through and you see that that's a major lie and there's a whole hidden realm here that could possibly be explored. Maybe that's step one of the path for a lot of people. But on this show, we hear a lot of stories about people who've received some type of direct download from somewhere else. You know, call it the spirit world or a non-physical dimension, Francis Crick, Nikola Tesla, Maria Orsich. And this is a really persistent thing, usually with bright minds who are suppressed by the empire. I think psychedelics have that same quality for people. They plug us in to this non-material realm of knowledge. And when we get back here, we feel like we learned something, but it tends to get quite slippery. Whoever wants to take this one, what can you tell us about maybe your mapping of the spiritual dimension and the best way to interact with it and get the most out of exploring it? Well, I'll begin with that, if I may, Niles. Again, I would say with great respect is an initiatory journey that takes many decades to fully understand and embrace. My own understanding of the initiatory structure is that it equips people to explore different realms. It does many things, but that's one of them. For the probationer, as you might say, or the neophyte, the newcomer, the neo-new fight growth or plant, for the new person on a path, and by a new, I don't mean someone who's just begun it, I mean that's where their understanding is. So I meet many people who say, oh yes, I've been on this path for 75 years now, I've been doing this way before you were born, and they're a complete moron. And they're a moron through choice, not because they're ill-equipped, but because they've found that there is sanctuary in the escape of the new age, which is what most people stop at, you know, seven steps to happiness and all that kind of thing. But for the person who is seriously interested, they see that real strength, real power, and the lucidity necessary to explore the other, let's say, dimensions of reality comes through their own transformation. So the old mental structures, the old emotional shutdown, cannot transport one into the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh dimensions, as you might say. You can't do it. So your vessel for the reception of divinity and your vessel for your own transportation through different realms is your mind and your heart. And if you can find equilibrium, then you can do a lot of stuff. I would say that took me about 20 years of work from about the age of 20 to about the age of 40 to achieve a level of equilibrium that has a decent consistency. So I was a great guy at 20. I'm a great guy today at 45. Thank you very much Mm -hmm. to me. But the bit in the middle is about the consistency of that equilibrium. So when I meet a great adept, a great woman of substance, a great man of substance, what stands out is the embodiment of that equilibrium a tremendous power, and I'd say just in modern cultural terms, it's like the sort of real-life Jedi master, a real supreme woman who stands there with this delicious sort of combination of ultimate humbleness and humility and gentleness, and yet this total ferocious power that's just there at the click of the fingers. And they sit in equilibrium from one moment to the next. One of the precepts in my work that I teach, the supernal path, is that power flows into equilibrium in the same way that 
sunlight falls upon us, you need to know how to harvest it to do something with it. The plants know how to harvest it. They know what to do with sunlight, and they can produce extraordinary things from it. We're learning that sunlight can power our world, heat it, cool it, make things, destroy things, burn things, bring things back to life. And in a similar way, if you see that divinity is an emanation through that light, you can learn to do things with it. And one of those things is you can use that light as a mechanism to transport consciousness through different frequencies. Or let's just call them dimensions, whether that's frequency or spatial or temporal. We won't worry about that. Let's just say other worlds. Light is key to that. And light can be used as a vessel, a set of coordinates to move consciousness from one place to another. But you must have equilibrium to maintain that light vessel. So it's like astral projection, remote viewing. Everyone, to some extent, has spasms and spontaneous episodes of that through life, just like we all have moments of clairvoyance and seeing deeper. But they're not consistent because we don't have equilibrium in mind and heart. And so the equilibrium is just a demonstration to the creator to say, hey, look, I'm good enough to do this shit now. And he's like, well, you are. You've proven it. Well done. Here's the power. So it flows into it all by itself. And the fail-safe of it not flowing there is built in as well, that if somebody doesn't have equilibrium, the mind is disturbed or the heart is shut down or too open, which is just as ridiculous. If you can't maintain a good aperture for mind, a good aperture for heart, know when to open, know when to close, know when to have a little bit, know when to have a lot, you're not demonstrating what is necessary to have that power. So why would the creator grant you the power to change his creation or even explore it if you've not demonstrated your fitness as a human being. So to me, again, it's ultimate equilibrium, ultimate equality, open to everybody. The choice is yours. But there's no conjurations, there's no spells, there's no incantations that can short-circuit that. As we've said, the entheogens, the psychedelics, the plant medicines can certainly symbolize, depict, demonstrate, show. You can go on a vacation and go, aha, wow, holy crap, that's important. And that can be a little crack in the old nonsense of mind that's essential. Just like in the quasi-fictional Castaneda novels, Don Juan says to Castaneda, you don't need to use the cactus, but if you persist in being this logical and rational, we're going to have to rattle you a bit because it's actually... The self you've created is getting in the way of reality. And in the end, he has to administer the plant medicine to Castaneda to help him stop blocking reality with self. So they certainly have a role to play, but you can do it 100% organic with nothing from your own, use the word again, your own endogenous chemistry for sure. <laughs> and it really is all about your attainment level, right? Because how much you know and how much you've actually developed self and transmuted yourself internally with that kind of inner fire for change is how much you're going to get out of an experience shown back at you. So like Neil said, if your ego is just out of whack or if you're just somebody that's on stage talking shit and not really actually doing <laughs> stuff to develop yourself, you're not actually <laughs> in search of doing what is truly authentic in terms of a real spiritual development or walking the yellow brick path of a 
alchemical inner transformation or transmutation. I mean, ultimately, you can't fill a vessel with spiritual light if they're a dumbass, right? So it's like you get back what you put in. Divine light is ultimately, or that gnosis from the divine is ultimately you seeing more of your higher self and being able to access your higher self, which is a spiritual guide that is not something outside of you, but is a way of embracing and then connecting up to your higher self, which is, you know, this non-corporeal higher vibrational density. And I would add one thing to that again, if I may. Niles keeps saying things that keep making me think of other things. Uh, so <laughs> do, do just interrupt me and tell me to shut up if we're going off the page too much. But That's all good. Thank you. This might be of interest to you listeners. On that point that Niles is making, it makes me realize that when we are talking about, going back to your original question, Greg, people have transmissions, they have downloads from the magical realms, you know, somebody somewhere, some intelligence, some dimension, and whether it's Nikola Tesla or bloody Joseph Smith or Jacob Bomer or Emanuel Swedenborg, they go out somewhere into a bloody forest or something, and they have a vision, they have an experience, a download or something like that. And people email me every day and say, how can I tell the difference between someone who really has had that happen to them today and talks about it and someone who claims that's happened and talks about it and I can't tell the difference. How is that? How can we tell the difference between the real deal and the charlatan? And there's a very, very simple answer to that, which is embodiment. That doesn't happen, as Niall said to dumbasses, to stupid people. So if you see a web page that says, here is the great so-and-so, and they have the transmission and they're channeling this magnificent entity and there's this extraordinary information coming and you can sit before this man or sit before this woman who will channel and show you and share their vision or whatever and pay them a lot of money pay them money and all this and you say wow that's quite a claim immediately for me that would be a bit of a red flag because channeled material generally is for the individual Mm. period the second thing i would say is all right well let's give them the benefit of the doubt it might be an extraordinary set of circumstances where transmission to a wider audience is appropriate. Let's take a look at that. Go and look at the person. Look at the man. Look at the woman. If they are a person of substance and equilibrium, then keep listening. See what else is interesting. If they're not, it's garbage. Because goodness, and in hermetism, goodness is often spelt with a capital G, and it indicates an element of divinity. Divinity doesn't flow its knowledge, its gnosis, into disequilibrium, i.e. douchebag people. It doesn't do it. (laughs) So that's the plain thing. Look at the channel. Look at the man. Look at the woman. Are they somebody of great substance and excellence? They don't have to be the wisest motherfucker on the planet. They just have to be somebody where you can feel, this guy is good. This woman just feels good. I can tell. I can feel it. I'm not dreaming. I'm not fantasizing. I'm not live action role playing. This is the real deal. I can feel it a mile off. As I say, when I've had the occasion in my life, on a dozen occasions perhaps, to sit in the presence of a man or a woman who have great adepthood in their attainment, I can feel it a mile off. The way I would describe that feeling is graceful power. It's very, very understated, but it's very, very potent. And that's to me, is unmistakable. Almost like a parallel would be sexual attraction. 
You can't bullshit it. Mm. It's either there or it's not. You can't pretend it. It's a very chemical reaction. And when I've sat occasionally with channels where somebody said, come and look at this woman, come and look at this guy, it's always been bullshit, always. Again, it's going back to the individual saying, be your own authority. Don't take anybody else's word for it. Don't fall for the fancy web pages and the posters and the testimonials from other retards. Go and sit with the person. Give them the benefit of the doubt if you feel strongly about it and look at the person. Forget the knowledge. Forget the data transmission. Examine the individual and everything is crystal clear. Hmm. It's also a dynamic too where in the film, you know, we show people that are at some stage of this and starting to actually really be excellent. And many of them aren't very high profile, put themselves out there a lot of people. They're very somebody that you might see and they might be somewhat in obscurity, right? So we see people... We did that on purpose, didn't we, of course? We did, because you find wisdom and excellence in very unexpected places. A lot of the times, so much of this is so esoteric that it's for you and it's only actable to you. And at some point in your journey, you will start sharing with others and help influencing others. But we see a lot of people, don't we, on various places that are trying to sell you things and they've got headsets on and they're trying to promote massive things and get huge sales for stuff, which is, again, we all need to promote our material, but you know what I mean. It's very much about, do you actually see this person doing excellent things in their life or is their life a mess and they're just trying to increase their social networking numbers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. And indeed, discernment is important. And of course, everybody thinks their bullshit detector is on point, but sometimes <laughs> I'm not so sure. It's best. Yeah, of course, if we work on ourselves, we can improve that barometer. And I love exploring the mechanisms of reality that help us to understand how the impossible can be quite natural, even when it's rare. And Neil, what you said, I think, gets us closer to understanding that for sure. And guys, this has been a lot of fun. Let's take a minute to remind people about Transmutation, where to watch it, as well as any other links or projects that you think people should know about before we close this down. So I'll go first. Transmutationfilm.com. You can rent it there, or if you're clever, you'll buy it so you can download it and own it forever and watch it 50 million times because there's so many interesting things to look at. Transmutationfilm.com. For me, Neil Kramer. Dot com. Everything's there. Yeah, and I can be found at NilesHeckman.com as well. And it's just, I want to compliment you, Greg, on this program. It's been just an absolute great show, and I've really enjoyed it. It's been an honor to be a part of it. And thank you for giving us the time to just kind of share some insights on it. Obviously, it's beautiful to not just try and sell a project on a conversation, but have just a fantastic conversation around yeah, the project yeah. that inspires such informative discussion that I think it's always nice if we have these conversations when, again, you kind of get energy and feel jazzed after them instead of talking to somebody that's just kind of so bland and dreary. So <laughs> cheers, Niles, cheers to your show. Yes, thank you, Niles. Thank you, Greg, for allowing us to do that. And me and Niles, yeah. you know, yeah, we want people to buy it and enjoy it for sure, but we don't want to just be assholes selling it all the time. So thanks for stimulating us to have a broader and better conversation thank you greg <laughs> yeah guys i really appreciate it i just largely stay out of the way it's all you <laughs> but now no, no, you, no, no, you the don't. subtle art of the interviewer you do a lot i can tell uh, <laughs> yeah and greg i do need to compliment you on you are a very excellent interviewer and i know that you know that but it's very rare to find somebody that's such a good interviewer as you so i think this is part of our path isn't it where we kind of follow the breadcrumbs and 
it's like ripples in the pond where you find what you're good at and you feel the call to something. And it's obvious that you are very inherently good at doing what you're doing now. And I'm sure that there's many things that will continue to happen for you as you open up gateways. But it's great to see you doing you and getting some fulfillment out of it and being something that at least is helping you along your path ever so slightly. So that's a beautiful thing. It's great to see. Well, I appreciate it. And this really has been awesome. Niles, it was great to get to know you a little bit. Neil, it was great to have you back. Thank you. Of course. I think Transmutation is an excellent film for anyone out there who is looking for that inspiration to kind of get out of the rat race and jump to that next step of personal transformation. And who isn't, right? We should all be looking for that. So I appreciate you both coming on. Keep poking holes in the Empire's game, enlightening the masses to better themselves and take care out there. Long may you shine, dude. Absolutely. That is how we do it, guys. A rare THC twofer. Very rare. Neil and Niles. Great dudes. I think we pulled it off. Both of them are really interesting and well-spoken guys. And I hope this one is a bit of an inspiration to people. Maybe a catalyst for that point of action some of you might have been putting off. I know that's how it was for me. And what a great show to manifest itself just before the four-year anniversary of THC+. Yeah, four years is an odd number to highlight, but we're going through the first major change since Plus started, which was the first major change overall. So for me, it is a big deal. Lots of twisted up feelings about it. But I'm really just one of the luckiest people I know to do what I do here for a living. Even when there are rough moments, that's just life. It's not like some other choice would have yielded zero stressful situations. And so few shows really are about me at all. It's always about what's going on in the world. But the number of emails I get from people that are like, hey, your story has been inspirational. I mean, they're off the charts. They're the biggest group of emails I get is people who've just been like, hey, I've listened for six years. I saw this whole thing happen before my eyes. And that to me is an inspiration because like I've said, it's easy to look at people who've made it and be like, oh, well, you had this component that I don't have. So it's not going to work for me. Or you had rich parents or you had this. And if you saw me, I pretty much had nothing but the will and the dedication really to not stop. Get better and don't stop. It's another thing is I think people in their heads get this idea of their perfect situation down the road. But it's those first steps to getting there that are the hardest to take. And it's like, don't look for perfection from day one. Just look for constant progress. But I tend to call the 10 years in retail my lost decade, and that is just how long I hemmed and hawed and bitched out and didn't commit, and all those things that we do that get in our own way. So yeah, for as well as it's going now, I did stall for 10 years. I know that struggle. So I hope this was impactful, because I think back to what I would have wanted to hear then, this is pretty much it. There does seem to be knowledge embedded in nature, embedded in the ones and zeros that will sort of hold your hand through the process or show you you can make it, by at least in part giving you a sense of separation between the economic Rockefeller-Rothschild rat race of man and the more natural mystic world, as Neil might say. 
And I really think you can separate those two and get a much more inspiring message from that suppressed natural world that's just kind of whispering its lessons out to you if you're listening. Because if you listen to those natural lessons, they really did make me feel like, oh, I did actually show up here for a reason. There is a point to life, and I think I'm here to succeed. I actually want to leave a mark of some kind and enjoy this experience. And if you get sucked up in the anxiety and pressure from the big machine and its acolytes and the materialist worldview, you can come away feeling pretty insignificant and that you better just get in line and shut up because it's better than being crushed. And any philosophy is better than thinking like that, right? But it's a great topic to cover because a lot of people do ask me to find more shows about solutions. And it's great to be positive. But let's also be realistic in that the big machine will probably always exist. The Archon-controlled psychopaths will probably always be skipping through the revolving door of control. We can talk about suppressed technologies and lost permaculture practices like the biochar process and engineering abundance and what we would do if we could change the entire chessboard. But much of that, if we're talking nationwide scale or more it's just hypothetical but a show about being your best self and engaging with the divine mysteries personally that's absolutely something you can do and if you end up being your best self you can make huge positive impacts in the world around you and not to be self-centered but isn't the world around you all that kind of matters i mean without a tv or without the internet you would not really know what was going on beyond your own sphere The world around you is kind of all you have, and if you can be someone in it who can say, hey, I figured this out for me, I'm loving everything right now, I got my shit on lock, what can I help you with? That's a really great place to be. I sometimes cite things that Jordan Peterson has said, and he talks about working to be the reliable person at a funeral. Did I bring that up in today's show? I'm not even sure. But being the reliable person at a funeral is just another way to express that work on yourself thing. And a lot of this material also reminds me of Gordon White's book, Chaos Protocols, and his phrase, become invincible. Because once you see the world behind the curtain, you realize the man-made world isn't the most important thing. Just a strange cultural layer of smog and grease and muck and money. And if you've had some out-of-the-body journeys, I think you become way more open to risk, way more willing to thrust yourself into the story of life. Because it does feel less final when you meet a couple entities behind the material veil. Either way, both guests today, really cool guys. I really liked Niles' input as well as Neil's. I knew much less about Niles going into this. But I would love to see his Shamans of the Global Village become a real full season series. There should be way more mini documentaries on specific shamanic practices and shamans that can be compared and contrasted. I love the sound of that. I just love that Niles has cultivated these filmography skills and is applying them to such interesting material. Stuff that I think people need. And if you're looking for more inspiration, check out their movie Transmutation. 
And if you only listen to the free first hour of the Higher Side Chats, do sign up to hear the second, because my God, was today a fun time. It was like a crow show on steroids, because we got into Neil's thoughts about the construct and his analysis of the sun-moon matrix, the hollow earth, and a lot of deep-level mysteries about the construct and our environment itself. And there were some compelling answers there. Definitely my favorite thing from today overall. And I did not think we were going to be talking about sun-soul portals to somewhere else. But here we are. So in that Plus show, other than alternative spatial models for the Earth and the sun as a portal, we also talked about a view into cultures existing beyond the Empire's influence and things like EMF wave avoidance and cell phone radiation. I definitely think there is meat on those bones. And there were great topics to add to the pile of compelling things talked about today. So sign up for THC Plus if you want to get into that. All around great show, sound quality, speakers, ability, content. Really happy with this one. So big thanks to Neil and Niles. Obviously couldn't do it without them. Very complimentary to me. Way too kind. But I really enjoyed it. And I hope you had a good time. I've got two more shows to serve you up before the month ends, and they too are shows I think you're really going to like. But we'll know for sure in a few days. Until then, I've done my part. Your move, individual explorers of the divine mysteries, modern mystics breaking out of the pre-approved paradigm, and escapers of the excruciating cog-in-the-wheel lifestyle. Your fucking move. Oh no. You see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings, control over everything. The nine to five is trying to steal ya, now don't that job seem silly? Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back? From some spike agency Wish we were younger And free I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us And the dead Sorry.
Time. 